and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast as we hit the middle of December. This is the 113th podcast and it's another packed one this week with four interviews and the subjects in brief are recyclable soft cheese packaging, the winner of the New York milk launch competition, a spirit made from whey and compostable packaging. So lots to look forward to. And because of that, I'll try and keep my bit short or a bit shorter than usual. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and we will, of course, have a look at the news from around the world that you may have missed, and there's a lot of it. It's been very busy. I did manage to take a little time off last week, although it meant working late the night before, and I have no doubt it will be the same again this week. It's really busy as well in the stores at the moment, so I'm not exactly sure what's going on with lockdown. I'm not really sure many people are either, especially in the UK, where there's a kind of relaxing of the rules for Christmas. Presumably, coronavirus takes a few days off too, so it's all okay. Anyway, before the news, who are we talking to this week? Well, we chat with Mathieu Nicey, Marketing Manager for Dairy EMEA at Amcor, the founder and CEO of Wayward Spirit, Emily Darchuk, the director of Treetop Biopack, Amir Gross, and one interview with two people, Manny Lubin, co-founder of Slate Milk, and Fred Schonenberg, founder of Venture Fuel, about the New York milk launch. And of course, we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. Right, to the news. It was a busy week for news at Friesland Campina. It's closing a cheese company in Belgium. Its ingredients company, Friesland Campina Ingredients, launched Stress and Anxiety Solutions through Biotis Brain Health. And Royal Aware is taking over milk powder production in another Belgian facility from Friesland Campina. The California Dairy Innovation Center has a new director, and also in California, construction of the new Rumiano Cheese Company packaging facility is underway. Danone Nutrition Research joined EIT's Food for Health Muscle Cancer Project. The animal-free dairy company Remilk is preparing for global launch with $11.3 million in funding. The ACCC says improvement is needed on Australia's dairy code compliance and Valio and DSM are collaborating on methane reduction. Last week, we had a special edition on colors and flavors with some really interesting articles on trends. Also in the news, Dairy UK took offense to some of the content of the UK's sixth carbon budget. Unilever, Starbucks and Dairy Farmers of America joined Vanguard Renewables in an alliance on food waste and greenhouse gas reduction. The U.S. Dairy Export Council CEO Tom Vilsack has been nominated for U.S. Agriculture Secretary. And Fonterra, Nestle and Dairy New Zealand are set to work together on tackling nitrogen leaching. You can read all of these and a whole lot more at DairyReporter.com. All right, let's get to this week's guests. Swiss headquartered global packaging company Amcor was recognized recently for its Matrix range, the industry's first paper-based, paraffin-free and recyclable packaging for soft cheese. To tell us about it is Mathieu Nicey, Marketing Manager for Dairy, EMEA, at Amcor. So if you could first tell me about the Matrix range that you have <clears throat> and what the applications are in the dairy industry. Of course, Jim. So um, basically, Amcor created the, the Matrix Recycled Cheese Wrap, a premium paraffin-free and paper-based packaging for soft cheese. 
So here we are really talking about that type of cheese that breathes during its life in the packaging. And uh, Amgar Matrix paraffin-free packaging offers a solution to two challenges in soft cheese packaging. First, product ripening or product maturation, let's say. And second, now, recyclability. So Matrix improves the product's moisture exchange to ensure taste and texture are consistent throughout the whole product life cycle. It allows cheese producers to control the ripening process, resulting in extended shelf life, and most important, delivering the right taste to consumer, the desired taste. Amcos Matrix range is a more sustainable packaging option now. First, because of the elimination of paraffin, that make it recyclable in the paper stream. And additionally, as we know, its paper look and feel appeals to consumers seeking natural and artisanal dairy products. So it perfectly fits with this gourmet cheese category, I would say. Last but not least, Matrix is a technology and not a specification, not a specific layers packaging concept, I would say, or format. So it's relevant for many shapes and therefore suitable with many different use and applications. You kind of answered the next question about the benefits for companies. What about the environmental credentials? Right. The environment credentials, I would say, first of all, this is recyclable. We made it. So basically uh, introducing the circular economy in the soft cheese uh, packaging. So it was back in the days already improving the food safety, removing paraffin. So basically removing all the migratory risk we may have with the cheese interaction between paraffin and cheese. Now that uh, matrix is uh, uh, made of more than 80% of fiber paper contents, it's recyclable in the paper stream and has been certified by CEREC in France and HTP Cyclos in Germany to be effectively recycled in those local uh, paper streams. Is that one of the improvements that this new packaging is on existing packaging? Absolutely. We are moving from a no-PP paper breathable polymer to a paper uh, breathable polymer. So basically reducing, down-gouging the different layers already helped us to reduce carbon footprint emission by 38% versus the OPP paper breathable polymer. And now we do have the certification. This concept is effectively recyclable in paper stream. So when paper stream is available, for sure, which means either you have the carbon footprint emission reduction, either you have both carbon footprint reduction emission and uh, effective recyclability. And what about in terms of the comparison to other packaging on the market for cheese? How much better is it than other packaging out there? So basically, today we are adding these recyclable features to the matrix range, uh, which is making it unique on the market compared to uh, the other uh, soft cheese uh, uh, wrapping, I would say. But back in the days, uh, Matrix already had a strong unique selling point versus the different specification we see on the market because of its high breathability level. And let me explain uh, what does that mean. The soft cheese is a, a living product uh, in the packaging. You know, it's breathing, absorbing oxygen, desorbing CO2, and desorbing as well water. So you need to have a very good gas exchange between uh, the inside of the packaging and outside of the packaging. 
And usually, cheesemakers were using uh, aluminum wrapping because aluminum has very good machinability properties, dead fog properties, cutability. It's allowing a, a very good productivity online. But it was not allowing cheese, breathable cheese, to, to breathe uh, during the ripening process until the maturation is over, meaning until the consumption, basically. Now, with this paper specification, adding a breathable P, breathable polymer. So this is a polymer that will allow breathability thanks to micro-perforation. This is patented by Amco. This will allow the perfect gas change between the inside-outside, once again, and uh, allows the ripening to continue in the right uh, way during uh, the time cheese is in the packaging. And the packaging itself, is it something that can be printed on easily? Yes, of course. Uh, today, we have many differentiation options. And of course, we are using uh, some printing technology to uh, bring some matte or gloss finish to bring these paper-like uh, fillings or also to print QR coding on the wrapping and therefore to uh, help our customers to interact with their consumers. Usually, I would say that the printing is uh, more often on the secondary packaging, the cardboard or carton packaging, the secondary packaging you, you see uh, for camembert or goat cheese, and we are not printing that much on the wrapping itself. Anyway, this is something uh, feasible, and we have uh, very good results with customers. We are already doing it. And are there any implications for shelf life with the new packaging? Does it help with that, or is it no different? Yes, absolutely, because of the uh, high breathability. Once again, with Matrix, the, the soft cheese manufacturers are able to control the impact ripening, significantly extending shelf life and uh, uh, delivering the right test to consumer. So longer time on the shelf can mean longer period between restocks cost reduction, less waste and better sustainability credential. Ultimately, it answers consumer concerns about dairy products that expire and the subsequent food waste. Is this new solution cost-effective for companies to use? Very, very good question, Jim. And uh, I would say value-effective for companies to use. First of all, it allows uh, the company using Matrix to claim the recyclability of the packaging. And this is when it comes to telling the story of your brand, telling the story of your company. It's really something critical today to uh, have this recyclability when it comes to packaging, as this is something, a key concern in Europe, I would say. And I know that this is a big one in the UK. So claiming your packaging is recyclable could also help you to uh, build the story of your brand and to uh, create a stronger bonds with consumers. Second of all, it's reducing carbon footprint. So uh, wherever you are, it will help you to uh, reduce the taxes and the green dot fees. So of course, when it comes to the total cost of ownership, it will also allow the different manufacturers to reduce non-sustainable taxes, let's say. Last but not least, uh, we are moving from uh, two layers duplex, OPP paper plus breathable polymer, to paper and breathable polymer. So Downgouging the current specification will help for sure to save costs for companies uh, using Matrix. And I guess the packaging won an award recently. What was the significance of that? Well, that was, uh, that was awesome, Jim, because basically Matrix is a long story. You know, we, we started uh, in 2011 and we picked different steps all along the years, I would say. 
but Matrix paraffin-free technology brings right now soft cheese packaging into the circular economy. And we are really, really pleased and happy it has been recognized with a prestigious uh, DAO award. Matrix is, um, is another move in the right direction for sustainability, combined once again with performance, offering cheese manufacturers improved flavor control and uh, recyclability. That's the first step, I would say, for circular economy in the dairy categories. And uh, I can tell you, we, we are going to continue in other categories soon. So are you you're going to continue working on this product? And do you have any other technologies you're hoping to bring into the dairy industry in the future? Indeed. As a leader in packaging, Amcor has pledged to develop all its packaging to be recyclable or reusable by 2025. And together with our customers, we've identified key challenges to making packaging ready to recycle. Our R&D team is working on technical solutions that uh, help us removing those challenges. So Matrix is just one example of an innovation that will pave the way for others' product packaging to be completely recyclable and effectively recycled in the future. All right. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. And once again, it has been a, a tremendous journey on Matrix. You know, this product is coming from a, a little plant in France. And like I said, made not only by packaging engineers, but real cheesemakers and real cheese lovers. So this recognition is a, a very, really big step for us. And once again, giving us a lot of motivation to, uh, to continue this journey on other category. And next, we have a feature on an interesting product that uses whey to make a spirit. And appropriately enough, it's called Wayward Spirit. The beautifully designed bottle features a Highland cow, something I see a few of here in Scotland. And so we will learn more about how all of this came about and what the product is. Hi, my name is Emily Darchuk, and I'm the founder and CEO of Wayward Spirit. And at Wayward Spirit, we make a more sippable and sustainable specialty spirit made from whey. It's been an entrepreneurial journey for a couple of years, but we launched our product in September of this year um, and probably started working on it two or three years ago already. We're based in Portland, Oregon. Our physical company is based here, um, but our current production is in California. The catalyst for starting Wayward Spirit was really my background in the dairy industry. Before moving into entrepreneurship, I worked as a prop developer and was a food scientist. I have my master's in um, food science that focused on dairy quality and um, transportation logistics and also have my MBA and um, was very much passionate about the dairy and the natural food industry because I was always really curious where food came from and with both of those industries, there's a close tie to its agricultural roots. When I had the opportunity to kind of go and get my business degree and kind of had that prime that it's like, oh, I could actually make a difference through business versus just launching products for other companies. Um, I kept seeing that problem of way waste firsthand. And it's something I'd seen in past life, but seeing it at that crossroads where I had the opportunity and the platform to actually do something about it kind of gave me that catalyst to start Wayward Spirit. So for me, it was a little frustrating that for every one pound of cheese you make, you have nine pounds of whey. Predominantly, you know, there's a little bit of protein within that that's used by some, but, you know, a lot of that is very low in the value chain. And a lot of that 
goes unused. Um, and it's just because there's not a market resource for it and a market outlet for it, not because anything's wrong with it. So I thought if I could take that and create a market for it, I could, you know, solve some pain points in waste mitigation, add value to the food chain and have the opportunity to bring innovation into the space. So I did a ton of R&D and a lot of work and was really trying to unpack the best type of product to come to market with. And that's how Wayward Spirit came to be. We're really proud and transparent to be a way dairy-based spirit because we think it makes a superior tasting spirit, but also that wayward mentality to do things differently for the right reasons, to buck the status quo. And for us, that's the audacity to have a clear spirit with flavor and also to make a sustainable difference through sourcing. So those are the principles that our company was founded on and kind of the relationships and how we see a, a, a really nice partnership with the dairy industry is, you know, being that market outlet for their pain point and being able to transform that into something that's beautiful and sippable and better than anything else in the market. And how did you connect the two? How did you sort of look at the way and say, okay, I'm going to turn this into the Wayward Spirit product that you have now? Yeah, well, I mean, the nice thing with alcohol is you're taking something highly perishable and giving it a longer shelf life. The other thing is it's a fairly stable market. But one thing that I'm a big believer is, is you can't solve a commodity problem with a commodity solution. So by the time I'm going to do something different, like transform that way into something like let's really take a design thinking approach literally from farm to flask. What would a consumer value in alcohol? What am I missing when I look at the alcohol market as a consumer who cares and build in value and build in intention and thoughtfulness in every step of what we're doing to create our product. So, you know, I think the opportunity to work with Way, which is a fairly unconventional base for alcohol, was really that catalyst to just rethink the whole development process and to really just do a design thinking approach um, to make the best tasting spirit possible and make the biggest impact possible while doing it. So we, we like to say we're definitely a mission driven spirit. And our mission is to really give home and the highest and best use to that raw material and how was the product development phase? Yeah, I think that's one thing that I felt fortunate as an entrepreneur actually having a technical background. So I worked as a product developer. I commercialized and launched products for companies, had to literally go from that ideation all the way through commercialization at facilities. So I, I had that background. I had that kind of approach and know how to do that and understand, you know, when to bring in a co-packer, you know, how to work with vendors. And don't get me wrong, doing that within a company is very different than doing that as an individual. But it took the same approach I did, start very small, do small batches, learn as much as you can, iterate, figure out those things you want to bring into the next iteration of your formula and kind of scale from there and, and use that learning process to figure out who are those right production partners that are going to help you kind of scale. So that's part of the reason it was a, a couple year journey with it. We really wanted to perfect it. I was able to get grants early on and we did extensive consumer research, you know, to get feedback on what we did and iterate along the way. So I think um, it's no different than what I would have done at a large company. It's just, 
a little bit more bootstrapped and that, but all those same steps I did at those large corporations, I made sure to check those same boxes when I developed my product as well, because I, I really cared about what was coming into market. And I guess one of the differences when you're at a company is that there are different people in different roles, but when it's your own product, you're responsible for packaging, design, distribution, communication, everything falls on you. It does. And it's quite humbling, to be honest. And, and don't get me wrong, I've met amazing people along the way and I have great mentors. And But learning how to design labels, it's really, I think it's taking every opportunity to get feedback on what you're doing and your idea so you're not operating in a silo. Because it's really easy if you're in one person to operate in that silo. So that's why we were really passionate about getting feedback. Pre-COVID, we were traveling quite a bit and we're able to get feedback from people all over the country. And we're able to really dissect how different consumers are reacting in different ways and, you know, where we absolutely had magic and where there is some opportunity to improve. When it's a smaller organization, the benefit is I'm extremely nimble. You know, we were able to make incredible pivots with COVID that I think a larger organization couldn't. But that being said, it takes a little bit longer and you're you're having to find partnerships outside your core company and, and things like that. So there's definitely trade-offs, but it's been a great learning process. And I think it's part of the reason our company is everything kind of makes sense from our name to our proposition, to what we're offering our consumers, to why we're doing it. All of those things came from one place and built organically over time. And I think to have a product that just makes sense to that consumer, no matter how far they go back in the journey, um, I think it's going to serve us well over time. Obviously not asking you to give any trade secrets away here, but could you describe the product? Absolutely. So we are 100% fermented from dairy. We are defined by in the United States by the TTB as a distilled specialty spirit. What I wanted to do with Wayward Spirit was be a little bit different. I didn't want it to taste like everything in the market because myself as a consumer, I went in there and there's a lot of products that all fit these narrow categories that are defined to kind of taste the same. And I wanted something that was a little bit more sippable. I wanted something that was really versatile that I could sip straight, but also to plug and play in a lot of different cocktails because, you know, before doing this, I didn't have a huge home bar. So if you had something that added those kind of values to me, that's something I would definitely turn to as an option in alcohol. So to bring innovation into that space, I had to go subcategory. So kind of what makes us unique within that specialty spirit category, though, um, unlike others that might be adding flavors or this and that, we're creating all of our flavor naturally through our fermentation process. We're being really intentional with that, did a lot of work on that to create a beautiful flavor. And then when we go to distill, we're being really intentional and strategic with the cuts we're making along the way. So we're not just trying to cut as much alcohol as possible and extract that to the highest proof and have something very neutral. We're being really intentional, again, from farm to flask on the flavor we're creating and the cuts we're making in distillation to concentrate and refine that flavor. And our signature flavor has these really lovely hints of oaky vanilla cream, a little bit of warm spice, slight pear aroma. But what's really, you know, I think iconic for us in signature is this like velvety smooth finish for it. 
Um, and those elements help you really plug and play a vodka, a gin, or a rum in a lot of cocktails. And we're even finding aged spirit drinkers really like our product as just something lighter, but has that same complexity that they look for, you know, in their whiskeys and bourbons and that. So we've kind of hit the sweet spot in, you know, offering many different consumers something that they can appreciate just by kind of doing things a little bit different and kind of being bold to go subcategory. And if you were to describe it to someone that hadn't tried it, how would you describe it? Yeah, it's it's been really interesting. That's been the thing that, you know, has had the most variable feedback. And what people find, we find people really like it. But people are coming from a different anchor point in what they already consumed. So if you really like tequila, you're finding those elements of tequila you also find in our product. If you really like aged spirits, you're really anchoring into that slight oaky note. If you're kind of a vodka, you're just like, wow, this is the nicest vodka I've had because it has flavor. So that one anchor point kind of varies depending per person. And we're fine with that. The frame of reference you're putting in something new into. We've had it described as like almost like sake and vodka had a baby as well. It has a like slight you know, lactones, um, that slight, slight creaminess, you know, that, that really smoothness, um, but that kind of that crispness and versatility there. But, you know, again, we're really just describing our signature flavor. It has slight hints of vanilla, cream, and oak. It has, you know, a little bit of warm spice. It has a slight sweet fruit aroma, and it really has that smooth finish. So we say, if you get it, sip it straight, understand where it's at, enjoy it slightly mellowed on a cube of ice with a twist of lemon, you'll really see that flavor blossom. And you can see how you can enjoy it like you would at aged spirit. And then our next cocktail we recommend is a martini. And we recommend the martini because, you know, that's traditionally a vodka or it's traditionally a gin. And when you replace wayward spirit with either of those, you really see, oh, this is a lot smoother. This is well-rounded. This has a nice mouthfeel and a creaminess and, you know, a complexity to it that really makes the drink its true self. I guess when you have something like this that's very new, does that prove to be a barrier insofar as people are reluctant to try it? Or is it the opposite to that, that it's something new and people are really excited to try it? That's a great question. What we have found is curiosity is going to get you to try it. And that quality really makes you a passionate believer. So anyone who's bought our product or joined our newsletter is part of our herd. And they're really early adapters. They love it and you know it becomes something that they incorporate more and more they go through that mixology journey they're moving away from whatever their standard drink was and incorporating something new and and really enjoying that process so that's what we've seen a lot people are curious they want to try it and once they buy it we're actually seeing most of our online sales being multi-bottle purchases because we like to say keep one to savor have one to share um, so people, once they try it and they like it, they want to show other people because it's cool and it's new and there's a purpose behind it. But we saw similar results when we did blind taste tests as well. People really like the product, whether they know what it is or not, which means I did my job well as a developer. And could you tell me about the relationship to Stonyfield? Yeah. So early on in my journey, I had the opportunity to meet Gary Hirschberg, who's the founder and uh 
chief organic optimist, I think is his current title at Stonyfield. And it's when I was an MBA student, I literally went up to him with my prototype bottle and my idea because I knew he would understand, you know, what I was doing and where it was coming from. And if nothing more to get his feedback, because I basically asked everyone for their feedback and getting the opportunity to even talk to Gary was pretty exciting because just of what he's done in the industry, I've really looked up to. Um, And he was excited by it and he got it and he loved the product and he's been an amazing supporter. He um, was a mentor through Inc.'s um, Founders Project last year. And, you know, we've maintained a relationship ever since. I attend his entrepreneurial events and we we talk, you know, all the time. And he continues to be a supporter and an investor and a a big time advocate and um, consumer of our product. And where is it available? Yeah. So that was part of our COVID pivot, we're actually uh, available online. Um, We really thought on-premise would be a great place for us. Um, But obviously in America, bars and restaurants have had a a rocky road over the past year. So we have a lot of um, supporters in that that world, but reality is they're struggling and fighting for survival themselves. And we're here to support them on the other end. But, you know, we had to find a different go-to-market strategy. So what we did was e-commerce. And that has exploded because of COVID. It was, you know, pretty much non-existent before for um, liquor and it's really evolved and we're happy to be a, a first mover in that category. So we're currently selling online via a third party um, fulfillment company. Um, so you can just go to our website, waywardspirit.com and click on the shop tab. Um, and we're able to ship to 30 states within the United States and the District of Columbia. So it's very convenient, ships to your door, um, and you get the opportunity to try it yourself regardless where you're at. And what's reaction been like to the product so far? I initially was getting a lot of pictures, um, you know, sent into the website of, you know, people excited to unbox the product because it's the first, you know, the first batch get reaching to them. And then I'm starting to get pictures of cocktails as they're playing with it. And, and then now I'm starting to see kind of empty bottles, you know, one, one, one serving left and I'm in the photos and that. So I don't think there's a single bottle out there that's collecting dust. That's a good thing. Now we have another packaging interview for you, only this time it's about compostable packaging. KM Packaging in the UK has developed bioplastic products in partnership with Treetop Biopack, which specialises in providing innovative compostable packaging solutions. To run us through the range of products is Director of Treetop Biopack, Amir Gross. And I wonder if you could first tell me about KM Packaging and Treetop Biopack and the relationship between the two. All right. So KM Packaging is is quite a well-known global packaging supplier. They specialize in uh, lidding films, but also other flexible packaging solutions. Very well-known company and a very good reputation. Been going on for about 30 years. They're based in the UK near Peterborough. Treetop is a company that I started around May this year. So I was unfortunately made redundant following a COVID outbreak. And uh, I was working in uh, in that field of uh, sustainable packaging and compostable uh, packaging for a few years. 
and uh, thought it was uh, a good opportunity. And first of all, it's, in my view, one of the best solutions, environmental solutions for uh, plastic packaging. And I decided to stay in that field and start my own company, bringing uh, new innovations in compostable packaging to the market. I was in, in talks with uh, KM Packaging uh, and uh, they realized what I'm doing and uh, learned about uh, the range of products that I'm uh, developing. And they got interested in that and they wanted to add to KM Packaging's portfolio and to, to be able to offer their customers environmentally friendly packaging as well. And that's how we started uh, to work together and formed the partnership. The partnership kind of brings from my side expertise in compostable and sustainable packaging. And from KM side, they bring the customer service and, and the technical support uh, and, and the operational support uh, needed to supply packaging to the market. Could you run me through what the new C-range is? Uh, the C-range is basically a range of uh, compostable packaging solutions, and uh, it's alternatives to very common plastic packaging products. So there are things like uh, uh, shrink wrap, a very common piece of plastic that's uh, used uh, widely for packing lots of different items. So we have a compostable version. Uh, the same with the stretch or what's called cling film. Again, a compostable uh, version of it, environmentally friendly. There are bags, uh, compostable bags, uh, compostable uh, adhesive tape, and also compostable nets that are used for produce and uh, for, for different items. These are all very common plastic packaging products, and we have an, uh, an environmentally friendly solution for them, a uh, compostable one. What is it based on or what is it made from and how does that help contribute to the circular economy? It, it's different. Obviously, every uh, product has its own uh, mix, but generally it's PLA and uh, mixed with PBAT or other uh, compostable resins. And how it contributes? Well, the, the great thing about a compostable uh, pack, and this is something I'm very passionate about, is that it returns to nature safely. It, it breaks down. So you, you take a plant, out of the plant you make packaging, the packaging composts, and with the compost, you can grow uh, more product. It's the, the most circular uh, solution, I think. It returns safely to nature and uh, doesn't uh, leave any microplastic or pollutants behind. And of the products in this range, which ones are suitable for dairy and dairy alternatives? All of them have uh, an application, depends on, on what you do. So if you think of uh, stretch or cling film, it's used a lot to, to pack yellow cheeses, for instance. Shrink wrap as well. There's a lot of uh, cheese that are shrink wrapped. Obviously bags, uh, compostable bags should be used for uh, grated cheese, maybe cheese that's sold for catering, in industry industrial use. Uh, if you think of blue bags, uh, that you get uh, large volumes of, uh, of cheese. Some of these products can also be used, not directly, but uh, supplement to your uh, production. For instance, a stretch film that's used to uh, wrap pallets, again, can replace your usual uh, stretch film. For the consumers that are using this product or taking it off the product in their own homes, do they just add it to their food waste container? That really depends on the infrastructure where the consumer is. So in, uh, in countries like uh, Ireland, in Italy as well, in France, 
the infrastructure is being developed so you can actually put your compostable packaging in a bin that's the could be the organic waste bin could be the garden waste bin in other countries where there's no infrastructure there's no collection that uh, it's more of a, a problem and you might need to put it in your uh, main bin and the product will go where all plastic goes to the landfill the best solution obviously is for there to be uh, infrastructure for it that is something that is being developed and is being debated in in countries about what is the best way and you need to remember it's not uh, just uh, all uh, you know flexible packaging there's lots of other materials that are uh, compostable packaging there's also things that are, uh, like uh, plates and utensils and uh, and straws and cups and lids and plates all, all these things are now made of compostable uh, materials instead of uh, plastic countries need to develop this infrastructure to handle this uh, waste this sort of waste right and i guess there's also education of consumers needed in order to know exactly what to do with each particular kind of waste is there any kind of labeling that would show you what you need to do with it there should be it's one of the things that anyone who uses the compostable packaging, they need to let the consumers uh, know that uh, the material is compostable. There's very strong consumer support for compostable packaging. I think that a lot of consumers, uh, when you present the solutions to them, they it makes sense to them. You know, I'm going to use the packaging. I'm going to put it in the bin. It's going to be composted. It's going to disappear. It's not going to leave any uh, pollution behind. And there's strong uh, marketing value and branding value for any brand that starts using compostable packaging because obviously you're offering uh, the most environmentally friendly solution to plastic, the most environmentally friendly alternative. And there's plenty of research as well that shows that consumers are willing to pay a bit extra to replace plastic, I know even myself in, uh, in our home and in our choices, uh, we choose products that uh, have less plastic. Uh, so consumers, yes, they need to be educated. They also need to be given the opportunity to get rid of the waste. And are your products available just in the UK or are they available globally? It's, it's quite global. Uh, we have customers in, in the US, in South Africa, in Europe, in the UK. It's part of the, the KM uh, infrastructure, uh, which is uh, very global and very flexible. We can really supply customers uh, anywhere. And are you constantly working on other solutions, other products? We are trying to, to develop more, uh, more solutions. Sometimes it's a matter of taking an existing solution and seeing how it would work in other circumstances for instance uh, can can our films be used as lids can our films be used in flow wrapping machines there's lots of solutions that we are uh, developing on, on top of the existing materials and yeah we are also uh, developing more uh, higher barrier films and higher barrier solutions to support other industries that we're working with and i guess you also have to test them to make sure that they're safe for the food and that it doesn't drastically reduce shelf life and all of those other things that's right i mean all, all the materials that we work with they are fully certified the factories test them well to make sure they're food approved everything is food approved yeah we, we test them for, for shelf life but at the end of the day shelf life really depends on the, the specific products we tell all our customers you know you, before you start using this you need to test it and you get a, a trial uh, a roll trial bags or whatever it is and test it yourself it's very important and every manufacturer knows that to test packaging uh, packaging is a it's a very small uh, sometimes looks like a very small and simple 
element, but is a, it's, it's a strategic uh, element in your production and needs to be right. The quality needs to be good. The service level and, you know, to arrive there on time in full, all that is, uh, is important, uh, just as the quality of the product. Now, it's only been a couple of weeks since we had a feature on the podcast about the Snackcelerator competition in California, with one of the people we chatted to being Fred Schonenberg, founder of VentureFuel. Well, fast forward a couple of weeks and we're chatting to Fred again, this time about a similar event, only this time a little further east, and that's the New York Milk Launch. We first chatted with Fred about the event, and a little later in the interview, we bring in one of the co-founders of the winning company, Slate Milk, and that is Manny Lubin. The last time we spoke, we were talking about California, and now we're over on the other side of the country with New York. What is New York Milk Launch, and how similar is it to the California version? Yeah, it's really interesting. So so California, the program we just completed was the Snack Accelerator. And so it was very focused on snacking, you know, cheese, yogurt, ice cream. New York Milk Launch uh, was different in that it was focused on dairy milk, liquid dairy milk specifically. There were some similarities for sure between the programs. And actually, you know, the conversation with New York began with somebody watching our program last year with California who reached out and said, hey, you know, can we do this for New York? And I think it speaks to the, the idea that innovation can happen in all different places uh, and all different products. And it's it's sort of the lifeblood of any sort of, whether it's food and beverage or you know, to entertainment, you're always needing to be closer to your consumer and thinking of new ways to deliver products that resonate, that can drive growth and demand overall. So it was different in a number of ways, but that sort of core belief, uh, which is VentureFuel is, is founded on is you need to always be reinventing, rethinking, reimagining how you can better serve your customers. And oftentimes the best way to do that is externally and to go out and find startups, innovators, people that are thinking about the category in fresh and new ways. And, and I think you know the winner of New York Milk Launch Slate, who we'll talk to in a moment, is, is such a perfect example of that, of kind of looking at at dairy through a new lens and all from that customer standpoint. What were the criteria this time around for the New York State version? It was all around providing demand for New York dairy. Uh, so a big part of it was uh, a commitment to produce the products using uh, New York dairy milk for 12 months, I believe, is the requirement for applications. Uh, we looked at companies either that were first time in market, no sales, up to 250,000 in sales for their product that they're entering. Uh, so one of the things we wanted to do is leave this open for other companies that maybe had started to have some success, but wanted to bring new products into the market. So the criteria was that it needed to be at least 50% liquid dairy milk. It needed to be a liquid uh, that, that used that. And we got over 50 applications all around the world all really interesting, some really out there, unique ways of thinking. And then you know, we, we worked with the New York Ag and Markets and the Dairy Promotion Order um, Advisory Board to really kind of go through the applications, see the ones that we thought had the most opportunity to drive demand and that were innovative. And then we put them through sort of a, a venture fuel mentorship program to get them from where they, they were uh, to a part where we thought they could make a really big impact on the market. 
You mentioned the 50 entrants were from around the world. Is there a difficulty with some of those in actually being able to use New York milk? You know, what's fascinating is even though the entries were from around the world, the idea would be that they would use New York milk. So in some cases, they were willing to relocate their company uh, or facilities to New York. Uh, and in some cases, you know, it was, it was a quick shot over there in Massachusetts, maybe, or Vermont. In other cases, this was something that they would find a way to export, but using the New York milk. So there's obviously some, some challenges with the shelf life and things like that. But everyone kind of came in with eyes wide open that the product would have to get produced here. Were, were there any surprises? I mean, did, when you were looking through these, did you kind of get blindsided in some ways by some of the innovation that was happening? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you could even look at just the four finalists that came out. There's a company called Superfrau that was basically upcycling whey and turning it into an Alpine-inspired like electrolyte elixir which that's a lot of words, right? But the way I would describe it to somebody is it basically tasted like Gatorade uh, and it was hydrating. It had a lot of electrolytes in it, but it was predominantly whey. And I think that is like such a great example of the purpose of this program, which is this is you know, some people a waste product, right? That they pay to have taken off of their farm that somebody now has imagined a way to turn it into a sports drink, essentially. And so there, there are always things like that that just get me so excited that, that people are thinking about things in a new, unique way. Uh, another one of the finalists that was really interesting, Carviva Golden Sage, she was taking sort of the ancient wisdom of the East and melding it with Western medicine. Uh, and so she'd created this, essentially it was turmeric and milk together. And it was all about the fat globules of milk deliver the turmeric in a way that is optimal for brain health. Uh, and she was a scientist uh, and had uh, actually plant-based juices. When she discovered the sort of science behind the milk fat globule and how it works together with turmeric and entered this competition to bring it to market. So again, like every time we do one of these, you start to see people from different backgrounds, uh, different experiences and different ideas um, that are different from what's in the market. Uh, and so that's that's the most exciting part to me is that all these companies have a place and getting to see them bringing their ideas to light it just increases excitement around dairy in general. And, and it's good to have a lot of different smart people thinking about ways to, to make this exciting. And once you'd got down to the final four, what was the process for deciding on a winner? Yeah, so that's the fun part. So I, I love, and I think I've probably talked to you about this before, Jim, but I love the mentor piece where we bring in sort of who's who of not only the dairy industry, but investors, co-manufacturers, marketers, publisher of Food Network magazine. So I love that part of the program where we're really helping accelerate these companies by bringing in experts that they wouldn't get access to normally. So we went through that process and then we had our final event. Uh, and that's how we got down from four to uh, the slate winning. We had sort of the, the who's who of, of the industry uh, as, as judges ranging from Peter McGinnis, who's the president of Chobani, he was one of our judges to Tom Allison, who is the head of investments at ZX Ventures, which is uh, AV InBev, which is the largest global brewer in the world, but they're, they're in all sorts of other beverages now, as well as the CEO, Nikki Jackson, of, and founder of RangeMe, uh, which helps large retailers determine you know, what new products should be on their shelves. So 
we had a really interesting mix of judges. Larry Bailey, who's the head of the DPO advisory board in New York, uh, also a farmer. What we try and do is balance sort of investors, big brands, retailers, and dairy experts to vote and look at these companies and say, hey, is what are the opportunities here? Is this innovative? Does it taste great? And does it have scale? Is it viable? Is it going to be something that's not only going to get tried once, but really, really make an impact on the market? Because what we remind our judges of all the time is it's all about dairy and demand for New York dairy in this case. And so we look at this not as like innovation for innovation's sake, but is this something that actually could get to shelf and scale and become a big time product so that they need to buy lots of milk? So yeah, we did a huge live stream. It was all remote. Uh, we streamed it on YouTube a couple of nights ago. It was awesome. It was lots of fun. We had, we had tons of viewers tune in live and, and people can watch the uh, the recast of it. It's, it's on the Venture Fuel YouTube page if anyone wants to go back and watch it uh, as well. And was there like a consumer element to it? Yeah. So we, we partnered with a consumer research company called Perksy. And we got 1,000 fans, and we call them fans. We had 1,000 consumers basically opt in to judge the four products. So they watched commercials that each of these four companies had done, 30-second commercials, uh, and they were asked a number of questions. The last question they were asked was, who would you put in your shopping cart of these four products? And so it was super interesting to see, you know, some of the questions earlier were like, would you buy this product? Yes or no? All the products did very well on that metric, which is a testament to how competitive it was. Core question was, which would you put in your shopping cart first? And Slate Milk, uh, Manny and his team won the fan vote as well as winning the overall judging. Uh, So they kind of swept the honors uh, that they were there. But one of the most fun parts was the consumers that voted also did a milk cheers, like a toast with milk. Uh, and it was adorable. It was them in their their homes because obviously everyone's home now. And so as they answered the questions, they then turned on the video camera and filmed themselves taking a drink of milk and cheersing the crowd. And it added a very nice, like sort of wholesome, fun vibe to this event taking place close to the holidays. At this point, we should talk about the winning entry. What was it about the winning entry that made it the winning entry? It's funny. I, I first, when I saw the original application, uh, from Manny and Josh, I was like, oh, these guys are awesome. Like they they have to be involved in this program. This is what the program was created for. They basically both loved chocolate milk. I'm not going to steal too much of Manny's story, but loved chocolate milk, were passionate about it and felt the chocolate milk needed to grow up uh, with them for a drink that kids have to something they wanted in their 20s. And these guys reimagined how you would brand milk to be attractive to millennials, essentially, or any young consumers. And so their packaging is just beautiful. It is, it looks like something you'd be very comfortable cracking open and drinking at your desk at work or after you work out. And I think there was a lot of simplicity. There's a lot of hard work that went into that simplicity, but in their messaging of this is a product that you thought a lot about when you were younger, where you think a lot about as a parent, but what about those in-between times? And they were creating an occasion and a reason for a huge swath of people to rethink consuming milk. And it just tastes, tasted great. And that's the key, right? Like it's, they, they had the marketing down better than anyone I've seen at the stage that they're at. Uh, and then to actually deliver on a great tasting product, you'll see in a second, 
Both founders are incredibly enthusiastic and passionate about what they're doing. They had some traction already with their chocolate milk product, which, which was in the market already. And then they were launching their vanilla. Pretty quickly, you get the vibe uh, that they're going somewhere and they're going to do something special. And then in the actual finals, they wowed the judges. Uh, they were just great. Everyone loved the flavor, the taste. They won the fan vote. So to answer your question more succinctly, I think they thought about how milk, what, what void is in the marketplace that milk could fill. And they, they solved it from their own personal consumer need. Manny wanted to drink chocolate milk. He loved it and he had become lactose intolerant. And so he needed ultra filtered, but he still wanted chocolate milk. And so he sought that out. And when he didn't find what he wanted, they created this company. And I think that's usually the best founder stories usually start from a pain point of the founder that they just feel they had to solve. Uh, and so that's, that's what distinguished these guys uh, from the pack. All right. I guess at this point, we should turn it over to Manny. Were you surprised that you won? First off, thanks, Fred. Uh, you can't see, but I am. I'm red. I'm blushing. That was a great outline of our story and uh, appreciate all the kind words. But I, I think that, look, when, when Josh and I go into any competition in any room, into any retailer, we want to do the best we can. And um, I don't think it's ever a surprise when we win or when we lose. I think it's we know that everything we do, we just put our, we, we'll do everything to put ourselves in the best situation to win. Um, and whatever happens, happens. But when we got the word, I think Josh and I both gave a, uh, a pretty aggressive fist pump. And it, it was really exciting. But, you know, I think all of the teams in there, all of the, the ventures have great concepts, have great founders. They're, they're run by great people. Um, and I think it really could have went anyway. But we were honored and uh, really excited to continue investing into New York Ag. And where are you based out of? So I'm here in Boston, Massachusetts, but all of our manufacturing and all of our dairy partners are in New York State. And so for us, again, when, when we connected with uh, Venture Fuel and the Milk Launch Competition, it was a no-brainer for us. You know, there are people in the New York, New York ag community that you know, when Josh and I were, were just a couple of knuckleheads with a chocolate milk idea, uh, picked up the phone and listened to our story and took a shot on us. And they're continuing to, to help grow the brand because you know, Josh and I always say we we're just a collection of all the people involved from the founders ourselves to our employees, advisors, investors, and, and partners. And one of our, our main partners, you know, our dairy suppliers and, and manufacturers are in New York state and starting anything new, it takes risk from others, whether that's their time, their resources, their money, and these people took risks on us. And so now to be awarded this grant, again, is just exciting and, and flattering. So can you tell me about the company itself? Like uh, how long you've been doing this? Why and, and what the product is? Yeah, absolutely. So Josh, my co-founder and myself, we're both in the startup tech space in 2017. Our businesses actually did work together. Um, and then both our companies were, were going through pivots and we had just always discussed starting something together. And we both realized at one point or another, we were both lactose intolerant. Like most other people on the planet, we love chocolate milk. And we found ourselves drinking the kid's version that's high in sugar, um, that's lactose free. And it was a true problem is we would have a glass of chocolate milk every day and we realized how much sugar was going into our bodies. And we couldn't really talk about it because uh, the branding we don't think associated with who we were. And, you know, in at the time, 2017, 2018, you are kind of personal, personally branded by the brands you consume and you want to associate with those brands. And we weren't consuming a brand that we necessarily agreed with their mission or principles. So we just all of 2018 just started, you know, Googling things. I think the first thing we Google is how to start a chocolate milk company. And uh, we weren't, dairy people. We didn't know much about milk. And we just started 
digging into the market and we saw this growing opportunity in lactose-free milk that's actually on the rise. Flavored milk is on the rise. Ready to drink protein shakes are on the rise. Um, and so we saw this growing trend within the bigger dairy space. And then from a branding standpoint, um, realized that we had to quote unquote millennialize it. We wanted to create something we could sell online. We wanted to build the brand on Instagram and Facebook because that's a little bit of my background. Um, Josh had a little bit of a background in food before his tech days. And so we, we actually put up a whiteboard in my living room at the time. And uh, it's in our Kickstarter video, which we ended up um, launching in, in uh, February, 2019. But we wrote down all the reasons why people don't drink chocolate milk. And it was the lactose, it was the sugar, it was not quite enough protein, it was the brand. And then it was the fact that it expired in about four days after opening it. And so over the course of the next 12 to 18 months, set up a supply chain to solve all these problems. And November, 2019 uh, hit the market. And that was our chocolate skews. And as we start now thinking about expansion, you know, we, we want to launch a vanilla, we've wanted to, but we really didn't want to pull away resources from our chocolates. So this was the perfect timing for us, the perfect opportunity, not only to work with New York Ag, um, but also to receive more resources to bring that new product to market, that vanilla line um, that will not only offer more flavors for our current consumers, but also capture that audience that just doesn't prefer chocolate as a flavor, whether in drinks um, or at all. It doesn't like chocolate and it's just bringing an entirely new audience to the plate brand. And where is it available currently? Yeah. So we're currently available in about a thousand stores nationwide. Um, that includes Harris Teeter. And this is just the chocolate line, but that includes Harris Teeter. That includes Whole Foods in New England. Um, we're going to be launching in probably about 500 to 700 new stores in the coming weeks. We're also at all giant stores, giant Martin stores. And we also do sell in 12-pack cases online, slatemilk.com and through Amazon. Our products are 100% uh, recyclable in aluminum cans, and they are shelf-stable, so they do not require refrigeration. But <laughs> like most drinks, they taste way better cold, especially our chocolate milks. Are you sort of planning on expanding even further or is it just really see what happens with the vanilla? So we want, when we think about our flavors, I think in 2021, our goal, our next goal is to bring these two new flavors to market. So it's a vanilla and an espresso vanilla is our goal sometime in 2021 from this competition. And then after that, I think that, uh, like Fred said, I, I think that we have a big vision. And I think that, again, you, you want to think long-term, but you got to, execute on short term to get long term. So we kind of take it day by day is how we say it. We, we are just trying to sell can by can and make sure that we're getting each of our current flavors as strong as they can be. But long term, I, uh, I think we definitely have plans to continue to expand. Yeah. And I think, Jim, one thing that's, that's kind of great about these guys, too, is there's a phrase, uh, you want to keep your head in the clouds, put your feet on the ground. And I love how they they're imagining out how this could be and what they can do, but they're very good at executing on the day-to-day. Obviously, winning it is really cool, but what else does winning this mean for your business moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it just solidifies that New York Ag is, as of now, is, is our dairy partner, right? And I think that this only solidifies that. And again, I think it's just, just creating these relationships with the mentors. You know, we have a few mentors that, that Fred offline introduced us to one-on-one that we're going to have conversations with. It's just getting our name out there, creating relationships with more people in dairy that just continue to help the entire categories. A lot of those relationships started in the past eight weeks with this competition. We're very excited to, to have won it, but even more so just to have been a part of it and made, create all these relationships. The thesis of every company at its core is to improve people's lives. Those are the companies that we see win, you know, especially food. It's making better for you versions of classic favorites. 
And we see it, we've seen it in lattes. We've seen it in ice cream. We've seen it now in candy, like Swedish fish type candy. And I think there's a ton of room, especially in dairy to continue to innovate like this. And we're excited not only for the future of slate, but just the future of all of dairy, because we do think that we're going to start to see a lot more innovation in, in real dairy in terms of just creating better for you versions of everyday favorites. And I'm excited to see where dairy's going. And um, I think we have an inside look and it's going to be an exciting future for dairy. And that brings us to our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from StoneX. It's been a relatively quiet week on the futures market uh, this week. Uh, however, we have seen some strength come through in the butter market while skim milk powder remains relatively constant. Uh, we did have GDT yesterday as well, which overall was up about 1.3%. Um, butter was up 6% on that, which seems to have had a strong effect on US butter as well, which was under pressure, to be honest, for the last week. But following the GDT yesterday seems to have found some support. Skim milk powder, um, as I say, has been relatively flat and on the GDT auction was up about 1.2%. So we have December butter trading pretty much now as flat at a 33.20.25 level. Quarter one butter has been slightly stronger, trading up to around 33.80 level this week. Quarter two was up around 25 uh, euros on the week to the 34.60 level. And then quarter three has been up around 50.60 euros to the 35.70 level. As I say, skimmel powder has been relatively flat. December continuing to trade around the 2200 level quarter one of next year trading around the 2240 level more or less the same as last week quarter two was up around the 2260 level which is maybe up around 15 20 euros on the week or sorry down around 15 20 euros on the week and then uh, quarter three has remained flat around trading around the 2310 level way has continued to trade around the 780 800 level thanks a lot liam we'll chat with you again next week for the last podcast of 2020 StoneX, formerly INCLFC Stone, provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for Dairy Dialogue 113. All of the interviews are done for 114, when you can hear about food safety, lactase, and how to make food waste and side streams profitable and sustainable. So some really cool stuff. Speaking of cool stuff, it's almost that time of year when the only way to fill those gift gaps is with a one-day shipping service. Unless, of course, you live somewhere even more remote than I do. In which case, it means actually braving the stores in a mask and using lots of sanitizer. I'll leave it there and hope that you have a great and stressless week ahead, wherever you may be. Stay safe, take care, and, as always, thanks for listening.